Your Newcastle. My name is Carol Duncan. This is the Your Newcastle podcast and it is lovely to have David Hampton joining us from Newcastle Museum as a senior curator. Yes, well, curator and collection coordinator these days, Carol. Senior suggests there's other curators that report to me. There's only me. (laughs) So I I suppose I am the senior curator in the sense that there's just one of me. Okay, curator. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good. Thank you so much for coming in to have a chat with a counsellor about the museum. My pleasure. Always the, a pleasure. I love the podcast series. It's so it's so interesting. There's always something wonderful and new and different. It's a it's a city full of vibrant, interesting people. So it is. Yes. It is. And you're celebrating a very special birthday. Yes. The museum turned eleven last year. Well, was it last year? Gosh, time just gets away from you now. <laughs> I think this is the 11th year. That's, yes, yeah, this is the 11th year. We, we, so we turned 11 yeah. in August 2021. So we've had a whole 12 months of celebratory exhibitions and programming, bouncing around all over the place because, yeah, 10, well, 10 and 11 is a bit of a milestone. It is. It was quite a move when the, the museum closed down for a few years with the move from Newcastle West over to the, the site that you're on now. And I guess in that time, we've seen some real changes, not just in the city, but in the collection. Yes, we have. Yeah. In, in the 10 years since it moved from Newcastle West into the city, we've, we've expanded the collection by thousands and thousands of objects. We, you know, we added the BHP objects to our collection after the BHP closed. So yeah. that's, you know, quite a massive additional group of objects. Jeez, in that 10 years, we had grocery collection. Yeah. Come from, from the old Centenary Centre. The Centenary Centre, yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. I found some photos of that that I took way back when, and it was just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, so I'd just completely forgotten about it. Yes, yeah. It used to be just across the road from us, and I yeah. used to wander over there desperately to do my Christmas shopping after <laughs> at the end of the year. But, uh, yes, when, when that place closed down, we ended up with their collection, and that... That's now on display as well. That was another several thousand objects. So, yeah, museum collections are always sort of evolving and changing. David, what's a day in the life of a museum curator? Well, I don't know if there is a typical day in the life of a museum curator. Geez, over the last two weeks, I've done everything from... I've been on the pallet jack, moving crates out of the way for new objects coming in. I've yeah. uh, spoken to people on the phone who uh, want advice on how to conserve their great-grandmother's christening dress. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah. we. I'm not a conservator. You know, curators break things, conservators <laughs> fix them. Yes, um, okay. <laughs> so, so I can't always give that sort of advice, but I think, I think the thing is knowing the people to send those sorts of inquiries too. So yeah. we do that. Spend a fair bit of time researching and talking to people who who have things they're not sure should go in the museum collection or not. So that's always a, a nice thing to sit down and talk to people about. Their- I know that that's something that people occasionally ask me about with my other little side hustle of Lost Newcastle is that they'll have an item that they think is significant and where should it go. So I always say the three locations to try are the museum and then the University of Newcastle archives with John DeGravio and the Newcastle City Library. And somewhere between all of you guys, you should be able to sort out a safe place for it if it's appropriate. That's right. And we we collect different things and we have different focuses. So something that may not fit with us 
may fit over at the university or it may yeah. fit up at local studies at the library. What's happening in your Newcastle? Subscribe to our mailing list at newcastle.nsw.gov.au. What are your favourite items in the oh. collection? And you're not allowed to say trains or anything oh. brown written. No, you are. You are. <laughs> no, I wouldn't, I, 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 I wouldn't want to be so one-dimensional. I'm a bit of a railway enthusiast. Uh, objects that are my most favourite in the collection. Yeah. Over the last sort of two years, uh, we've worked on a really big conservation project with a Grand United Order of Odd Fellows silk double-sided banner. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So that spent a whole bunch of time under floorboards at the Stroud School of Arts. Yeah, okay. It was in a pretty rough condition. Is it big? Yeah, it's like two metres by three metres. So they were used by the Grand United Odd Fellow groups yeah. when they were in, you know, uh, marching in parades. It was used to sort of demonstrate the, the collective action and collective wealth of those groups. Yeah. So they're so large that you need multiple people to lift them up and move them around, which, you know, s- d- demonstrates the cornerstone of, of that sort of Odd Fellow philosophy of strength in numbers. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so it was this glorious double-sided banner with hand-painted silk, um, with, with hand-painted uh, images on both sides. It had been under, uh, under floorboards for 40, 50, 60 years. No one's quite sure. And we, we got it out. We decided that this thing was really significant because there's not very many of those things left in Australia anymore. Yeah. And so we worked on a, on a project to get it conserved and fixed up. So that's one object that's particularly significant to me at the moment. I like working with the objects that we actually, we sort of bring back from the brink a little bit. We yeah. go, these, this thing is important and significant, and then we, we find ways to make sure it sticks around for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's one. Oh, okay. So, geez. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the, it's another thing. That was uncovered. We've got we've got the button off a convict's tunic that the, uh, was from the Australian Agricultural Company. Right. So that again was found out at Stroud. Wow. Yes. And a, and a detectorist went out with his metal detector one day. Yeah. And was was sweeping the fields and just found and a f- convict button and found a convict button. That's extraordinary. Yeah. 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 And we're pretty sure there's only one other example of these buttons in. A, a museum collection in the country. Seriously? The State Archives has got one. I'd have thought that Sydney and, you know, Hobart had been littered with them, let alone Newcastle. Well, yeah. Well, maybe we need more detectorists out there. <laughs> um, oh, I've often been tempted. <laughs> well, I mean, you can't watch that series that the that was the, the UK series a yeah, few years ago without, yeah, without sort of getting into the, the romance of that. So, you know, this, this detectorist came into the, well, called the museum and wanted some advice on mm. how to look after it. And our front of house coordinator, Justin, gave him some ideas and some people to talk to. And by the end of the conversation, he was like, well, you guys sound like you could look after it. So would you like it? And we said, sure. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's object number two. Yeah. It, it changes from day to day. I'm not sure if you can tell by my sort of... Uh, no, no, no. I totally get it. It's like when people say, you know, what's your favourite song? Well... You know, what day and time is it? Because it's going to be completely different. I would imagine that, you know, a lot of the things are that you you love and you gradually become familiar with, even if they're not on display, are things that are treasures. Yeah, absolutely. 
we, we did the Castanet Club exhibition last year. Yes. And we went from having basically two objects in our collection related to the Castanet Club. To a whole room. To a whole room full of them, <laughs> which I'm still processing. And so I, I love, we've got a surf flag with the Castanet Club logo on it. Right. That someone at the Balmain RSL in uh, 1989 thought looks fun and so put it under their arms and took it home with them and, oh. and stole it oh bless <laughs> and then uh when when that thief heard about the exhibition somehow they managed to get it back to penny biggins uh, <laughs> member of the castanet club now we don't condone that sort of behavior at all but you know what it probably may have disappeared forever unless someone had uh, collected it we don't have the original sign that was hung out the front of the castanet club yeah you know we don't have anything that exists of the original sets or anything except for that Pete. feeling social Follow City of Newcastle on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. My name is Carol Duncan and David Hampton is joining us on the Your Newcastle podcast. How important is collecting our contemporary history like that? And I, I know Julie Baird, the director of the museum and yourself many times over the years have said, David, that, you know, we're making history every day. Yeah, look, I think museum collections are inherently optimistic things. They are about looking to the future and going, in times past when we're all gone mm. and these things still exist, the, this is the record. This is the store <laughs> of all human knowledge that we want to pass on to the next generation yeah, and the, generation the after that. club. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, yeah we, <laughs> okay, hopefully that's just a little bit of our 1980s history that you're saving for us. Sure, absolutely. And our, our collection... Contains everything from, you know, personal computers to, to fossils to stolen bits of, mm. you know, cabaret club mm. yes. uh, stage setting. Do you sometimes, if you're just walking about Newcastle, see an object or an event and think, we should have a bit of that? Yeah, I do. I constantly do. I think that's that's part of being a curator is that you sort of, you walk through the world and, and kind of think about, about what's going to be around in five, 10, 15 years and what's not. Yeah. And so, you know, when the buses changed all their numbers, we yeah. made sure that we got all of the last uh, bus timetables from, you know, what was that, five or six years ago. Yeah. I'm really keen to see our collecting expand with some sort of contemporary looks at uh, protest in our city and yeah. the coal industry and all of that sort of stuff as well. Those Those things are often ephemeral. You know, you take a placard under your arm to a protest and then... It goes in the bin or you lose it on the bus on the way home. Yeah, and, um, absolutely. Those are those things are a really important so record. So, that's a bit of collecting that's underway or work yeah. in progress? Yeah, that's a work in progress. You know, I, I, I we talk about, I, I'm going to use a name here. We, I'm going to have to Charles Bean uh, <laughs> some of this stuff. So, Charles Bean was the, the guy that went to Gallipoli with yes. the Anzac. So, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to make more of a concerted effort to go along to some of these things and actually tap people on the shoulder and say hey when you're done with that would yeah. you would you like to would you like that to go into the museum collection can i have that can i please have it <laughs> yeah david hampton curator from newcastle museum joining us on the your newcastle podcast let's talk about trains a little bit oh thank you because you do love them you are most certainly a rail enthusiast but also a bit of a rail expert you left us here in Newcastle for a few years to go to Queensland and you were working with more rail objects and you've also recently 
As an artist, you were involved in the creation of an extraordinary series of coins, of trains, for the Royal Australian Mint. That's right. Yeah, I've, I've never been able to quite articulate what it is about trains and steam trains in particular. It's been a constant in my life you know, since I was a, a really little kid. And yeah, I did my national service at the, uh, at the at the Queensland Museum Network, working in Ipswich at the Railway Workshops Museum there and had a glorious time. Was that like hog heaven? Yeah, it was a bit. Mm. Yeah, mm. it's a, a remarkable place where not only was there the museum, but there were the workshops where a whole team of Queensland Rail employees spent their days working on steam locomotives so yeah. you know that uh that sound and that smell of steam was always in the air there so yes but but um, that one thing led to another i ended up back here and uh and then the royal mint called <laughs> and said, oh hi david can you knock us up a few coins <laughs> i went oh yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> that series was like fantasy football again because it was we want you to do seven coins. We want you to do one for each state mm. and one for the Commonwealth Railways that ran the Transcontinental Railway. And as a curator and a curator that's interested in trains, you know, you don't ever get to do a survey of Australian steam like you might do a survey of paintings or, you know, Jackson Pollocks or something like yeah. that because they're too big, they're too heavy and they're too too widely dispersed. And the gauges are all wrong. So, you know, none of the trains are going to fit oh. on the same track. So I, I got to sit down and, and figure out which locomotives I would pick as a sort of survey of Australian steam locomotives. So that was fun. I got to talk to all of my colleagues in various museums and heritage railways around the country and mm. say, you okay with us putting this one on a 50 cent piece? And the, <laughs> and the answer was already, or, you know, always inevitably, oh, yes, please, we'd love that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so they came out towards the end of last year and then into into this year. It was challenging for me because, as you mentioned, I'm an artist, like I'm, I was trained as an artist and I, I, I always think, you know, caricature is a good way to communicate the essence yeah. of, of a railway locomotive um but but i'm a bit of an outlier when it comes to railway enthusiasts thinking that so part of what i had to do was was uh look at all of the artworks that they were making for the coins and the packaging and say well that rivet needs to be slightly more to the <laughs> left and uh, you've kind of not quite got the brass work correct on that one so um, you had to straighten up and fly right I a little did, bit i did because you know <laughs> otherwise it's sort of like yeah sure man like expression just you just just make it Look how you feel it looks, you know? Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, more steam, big <laughs> yeah, wheels. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, lots of wow. Yeah, that's it. Lots of pizzazz. Yeah. Yeah. What a, what a treat. What, what a privilege. Privilege is the right word, yeah? Like, I kind of really felt um, like I was, I was taking on something that was really special. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now, I know that where we sit here at the moment recording this conversation, indeed, Australia's oldest, as I understand, Australia's mm. oldest piece of rail was discovered. Yes, that's right. So, so Newcastle had the first railway on the Australian continent. It gets a bit murky. There's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of places that claim they've got the first. Now, this didn't run on steam or horses or, you know, electric trains or anything like that. It was gravity fed. So, you had two lines. Yeah. You had a rope around a pulley system connecting them. Uh -huh. You loaded at the top of the hill. You let the brakes go. 
the weight of the loaded wagons would pull the empty ones back up the hill and the whole thing starts again. So that is like 18, late 1820s, 1830s, and it is incredible technology for that age. And that was AACO? That was the Australian Agricultural Company, yeah. Okay, right. and that was actually for the movement of coal that's right. um, over the other side of King Street, right here. Right right up the Down road Down to the, the harbour. Yeah, that's right. And you can see that piece of fish belly rail... It's in the museum. In the museum. So, a uh, venerated local community historian walking through that area one day comes across a skip. There's uh-huh. a house being renovated. Yeah. Notice this this piece of rail. Now, rail of that era, because of the quality of metalwork at that time, is very distinct. It's kind of tapers to a point and is wide in the middle. Kind of looks like a fish, yeah. hence, hence it's described fish as belly. a fish belly rail. Yeah, and so he saw that, and he was like, "I think that's a piece of the original, you know, AA Company railway." And he picked it up and he took it home, and then he brought it into the museum, and and we've compared it to similar looking rails in in Newcastle upon Tyne in the UK. Yeah, at a place called Beamish, which is a big open air living museum, and they've got. They've got the same same shape, same type of rail. So we treated it and we put it on display in the new museum back in 20, 2011. Mm. And then one day we were just walking past the case at the right time and the light shone on the piece of rail. Oh, my God. And you could see the AA <gasps> company stamped on that piece of rail. So you hadn't seen that previously? No, we hadn't seen that because the, the lighting hadn't, yeah, you yeah. know. Hadn't, hadn't, hadn't shown. It's the same AA Co. company sort of insignia that's on that convict button that I spoke about earlier. Right. So objects can surprise you. That's cool, isn't it? <laughs> it's your Newcastle. Access all our services and resources at newcastle.nsw.gov.au. Before we wrap up, we need to talk about a really wonderful exhibition that's on there at the moment, which is called Shroup. And again, we're talking about, I guess, contemporary collecting. I find this a particularly interesting one because it's it's telling a very singular story about a community in Newcastle, but an international community. Yeah, absolutely. So Shroup, Shroup is about the skateboarding scene in Newcastle from the 85 up to the present day. Shroup, as I know now, is a verb. It is. <laughs> to rip, to shred, to shroud. That's right. Yeah. It's having a bit of a shroud. And it looks amazing. It is really interesting. And, and I know there are, you know, there are stereotypes and myths and nonsense about oh, skateboarders. But this is a particularly interesting cultural story. Yeah, it really is. We think it's really important that people come into the museum and they see themselves. Yeah. They see themselves reflected in the exhibitions and the programming and the collections. And... Uh, Skating is a is a it's in a strange place in the public consciousness. It's often maligned by many. Yeah, we wanted to make sure that that, that we could tell that story because the, the story of skating in Newcastle is a really important, interesting one that that has all of these international c- connections, but also tracks the change in the urban environment of Newcastle. Mm. And and our, our community community curator Jim Turvey, who's a skater and an archivist and 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 came up with the narrative for this 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 exhibition. He 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 talks about that that idea of skaters as sort of documenting the urban landscape and 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 looking at Newcastle through different eyes and 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 using Newcastle differently. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it is the, the difference that the creation and I guess the the, the renovation, revitalisation of Museum Park has been fantastic because we have skaters who come in there now. They can tuck their board under their arm and come in and see stories, as you said, stories about their own interests, their own lives, and see themselves reflected in a respectful way by a collecting institution. There's nothing better than, you know, my office is down the far end of the museum and I walk through that exhibition to, to go to any meeting or go and get my lunch and We've been seeing people in the museum that we haven't seen before. Yeah. Skateboards under their arm, yeah. just engrossed in this exhibition. And we want that. We want everybody to feel that it's their place to visit. This is what museums are. Museums are about community and identity. They're not, uh, you know, they're not just about dates and facts and figures and, you know, oh, we used to churn butter and, uh, you know, here's how you churn butter. Like, like that's that's... That's what the museum does, mm. you know. It's it's that culture shaper. It's that shaper of identity and, yeah. and sharing it and celebrating it. All right. One last one. The Victoria Lifeboat, which is one of my favourite objects because the story of the lifeboat cruise here in Newcastle way back when was phenomenal. Absolutely. So, the Victoria came into our collection earlier in the year. Victoria is an incredible piece of late Victorian uh, naval engineering. And we're trying to make, make her stable so that, you know, optimistically she's, she's around for another 100, 200, 300 years. Yeah. So we're working with shipwrights and we're working with the Australian National Maritime Museum to uh, stabilise the timber work mm. and make sure that she's getting the support that she needs because yeah. uh, the stillage that she's in, we've discovered, needs, needs some additional chocking just so she doesn't sag in the middle. The stillage. Yes. So, you know, if you've ever seen a model boat on a shelf in someone's office, uh-huh. it's it's got, you know, a, a, a cradle that it yeah. sits in. Yeah. Well, this is a really, really big cradle for something that weighs four and a half tonne. Oh, is that the stillage? That's the stillage, The yes. cradle thing. Yeah, you could call it a cradle, you could call it a stillage. I'll just call it the cradle thing. Muse- okay. Museum people like to call things stillages. The stories of the Victoria, or she's actually Victoria too, isn't she, I think? Well, yes, there was a Victoria hmm. um, before... Victoria 2 came along. Yeah. Um, yeah, Victoria responded to dozens and dozens of ships in distress over about 40 years, mm. retired sort of just after the Second World War. It's got a really interesting life in, in I guess, what we railway people might call preservation as well because mm. Victoria's initially donated to the uh, Newcastle Historical Society. They put it on display at the front of the Oak Factory oh, at Hexham. I didn't know that. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so it was out there for many, many years. Oh, that wouldn't have done it any good. Well, I mean, I, I can't say I wasn't there at the time, but yeah. certainly by the 1990s, yeah. um, it was time for some restoration work. Yeah. So there's been a couple of restoration jobs done on it since then. It was in the Maritime Collection for many, many years, and now it's, it's, it's here with us. Oh, I love her to bits, but hopefully she won't fall to bits. Yes, fingers that's, crossed. That's your job, isn't oh, it? Oh, yes. What a beautiful story. That's a story all on its own for another day, I guess. But, oh, gosh, it's such a pleasure to catch up with you and have a chat. David Hampton, curator from Newcastle Museum, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Carol. It's been a pleasure. That's your Newcastle. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review us wherever you listen. 